I think all of you probably have had, wherever you come from, have had some experience of public relations. Um, most journalists at least say that they, uh, they have a certain amount of disdain, contempt even, for public relations people. And the phrase which is often used in the US and UK is the relationship between a dog and a lamppost. Uh, <laughs> leave that to your imagination. But, um, but I think that's wrong. I don't think it's wrong. That, that is the attitude that we journalists have. And we've had it for the last century. Public relations really began as an organized trade in the United States in the late 19th century. And it began in two ways. One, to represent what was then the rapidly growing corporations, big corporations, of America as America began to industrialize uh, and become the world's first industrial power, and also from politics as political parties became much more important and began to organize politics in a way in which they had not before, and of course organize their own people and began to lobby. And from these beginnings, then there grew up what became especially during the First World War, 1914 to 18, um, a, um, a trade, a profession. It became a profession in the war um, in part because um, when America entered the war, which was in 1917, uh, the political class had to, um, President Wilson had to convinced the Americans that they should enter the war, a war which was being fought in Europe, which most, many Americans thought was none of their business. And so then developed the, the, the craft of propaganda, which was not then thought as an insult, um, uh, in order to put across to the citizens of America uh, that this was a good war to be in and that America should be in it. After the war, then, um, the public relations continued for private corporations, continued to a degree at least for the government, though less than during the wartime. And then after the Great Depression of the late 1920s, it began again, public relations people made the case that capitalism, the free market, was now under threat because it had seemed to fail and thus they needed public relations more to uh, support private enterprise. Around about the 20s and 30s, public relations as a trade spread, um, first of all here to the UK, um, and then increasingly to continental Europe and elsewhere. And it spread both as a corporate, a corporate trade representing private business and as a, as a um, political trade representing parties and increasingly representing governments. The two then became somewhat different, although they, they learned a great deal and still do learn a great deal from each other, and their tactics and strategies very often borrow from each other. Increasingly, uh, actually, the, um, the, the, the PRs who work for corporate interests, for private interests, borrow from political communicators, who very often are the pioneers of new developments. Mention that later. So that's a kind of a brief history of public relations. Um, 
as I say, it's existed for a century, and in that century, most of the time, it has depended upon people like us, upon journalists. It's depended on us because it needs to get its message across to the public mainly, but also to other stakeholders, other groups of people. And the, the way of doing that, almost the only way of doing it, not quite the only, but almost the only way of doing it, was through the media. First of all, through newspapers and magazines, through radio, and then through television. And so the, the public relations, the dependence of public relations upon journalism has been a century-long phenomenon. That isn't to say that journalists don't also have not depended upon public relations. Uh, public relations made, it, um, made sure that, that we needed them too. We needed them uh, because they constructed the news. They made a story out of what was happening in the corporation. Um, they gave us access to people, to uh, the bosses of corporations, to politicians, uh, to people who would amplify the story they wanted to tell. And they entertained us. I don't mean they did a song and dance, but they entertained us. They took us out to lunch, uh, to dinner. They uh, arranged trips for us, um, holidays. Uh, and many of my distinguished colleagues spent quite a lot of time uh, having <laughs> lunch, not, dinner, and not holidays. <laughs> not, not me. I was always, I was always in the wrong, the wrong part of the, of the jungle. Um, uh, there's a, a very fine novel, for those of you who like comic novels, by a well-known writer here called Michael Frayne, who's also a dramatist, called Towards the End of the Morning, which is a, uh, a novel about 1950s, 1960s Fleet Street, a national newspapers in that period. And it ends with a, a increasingly disastrous uh, trip, fueled by alcohol, um, of a, a new leisure company, which uh, unfortunately is using a plane that refuses to fly. So I wanted to just put, say, half a dozen uh, of the, the main points that, that I and my colleague with whom I worked, Laura Toogood, who actually has worked for some years in public relations, have uh, found uh, um, as being the main pillars of the relationship between public relations and journalism now. One is that, that public relations no longer needs us. At least, it no longer needs us as much as it did. And the, the, the main reason for that is that it's, it's been able to use the internet and social media m much more uh, extensively, more, much more profitably than we have where the internet has disrupted, especially newspapers, but also uh, broadcasting. It has given public relations a whole new field in which to operate. It's given it a new field because through the internet and through social media, especially Twitter and Facebook, it can go directly to the people it wants to talk to. It no longer has to route things through newspapers, magazines, radio, television. Uh, it can construct its own narratives. And it has meant that the phrase, which has been around for some time, that every corporation, every company should be a media company, no matter what kind of company it is, it should be a media company, it's given that some meaning. 
And that means that companies, especially large companies, can now put out their own messages, can develop their own story. Indeed, in many cases, increasing number of cases, can create their own channels, their own internet channels, on which they put out their messages, sometimes directly, like our company is a good thing kind of messages, sometimes indirectly by linking their company to something else. Red Bull, the, um, the drink, links itself to extreme sports, as indeed does Unilever, which is, I think, the biggest food company in the world, or one of the, one of the big two in the, or three in the world, also links itself to uh, sports through, uh, through actually using its male deodorant uh, as the, the little bit in the corner. Um, it uh, links itself to waterboarding and skiing and so forth. And so on. Volkswagen is now developing a channel, and others are too. Volkswagen's channel is going to be about cars, not about Volkswagens, always, sometimes. It will be, but, but about cars in general and the whole sort of automobile experience. So that, that is increasingly the case, will be increasingly the case, uh, and, as I say, doesn't, doesn't need us. That also means that public relations people are becoming more and more storytellers. They always have been storytellers, as we have always been and are still. We tell a story. We call what we're doing, writing or broadcasting, creating a story. So do they. But increasingly, they're doing stories of the kind that we used to do. I met somebody last night um, who had been fired from the Daily Mail, which is an honourable thing to have happened to him, <laughs> and, uh, uh, and has now created his own company. Uh, and that company, I picked it up on the, on the, on the web, um, is how he advertises himself is that he, as a trained actually tabloid or semi-tabloid reporter and others in his company, are there for companies to come to to tell their story. We will tell your story better than anybody else can. And put it out, put it out through social media, through, through, through the net, and of course also through the newspapers and, and, and broadcasting. And that's increasingly the case. One of the people we interviewed in the course of this, we did interviews in both the UK and the United States. The UK for corporate PR, United States for uh, political communications, because the United States outspends nearly, not everybody, but nearly everybody by a factor of 20 to 1 in the case of the UK spends very little on political communication. Um, the US spends vast amounts. Now, I think both candidates in the last election they uh, spent something that spent a billion, one billion dollars uh, on on all kinds of things, but in, but increasingly on PR and on the on the internet. Uh, we met somebody here uh, who had been the editor of the News of the World uh, before the the hacking the hacking matter, uh, who's formed um, a company, a guy called Phil Hall, called Phil Hall Associates, where. What he essentially does, he and his team, he's got a team of about 40 people, some of whom have been journalists, some of whom not, in Soho, uh, in the centre of London, and they write the copy for tabloid newspapers. Literally write the copy. Um, occasionally it's changed a bit when it gets to the tabloids, but often it just goes straight in. And they write it because they represent celebrities, sports stars, 
models, actors, uh, and his pitch is, well, we know these people, uh, we can talk to them, you can't, uh, uh, and so we, we can tell the story better. And in a certain sense, he's right. Um, so he will write, if you see stories uh, in magazines where a star or a sports guy, Roy Keane was in yesterday, who was playing for Manchester United. He used to play, right? used to play for Manchester United. And uh, he, he was famously aggressive. He always tried to beat people up. And uh, he's done a, a, there's a headline which says, Roy, uh, that wasn't me, says Roy Keane. I wasn't that kind of guy. I, I was nice, peace-loving <laughs> vegetarian. Uh, uh, now, somebody has thought that up. Somebody has thought that he, Roy Keane is just the same as he always was, which probably was somebody who wanted to push your face in when he, when he met you. But somebody has thought, this will make a story, because this works against what we all know about Roy Keane. So present him as a peace-loving vegetarian, and people will read. Uh, there's another, there's one today, I just saw a headline coming here, I've forgotten. It's a famous, a famous uh, British star. She was in Pride and Prejudice, I've forgotten her name. Uh, this uh, actress was famously no, famous for being rather demure. Uh, anyway, she is now, she's posing in front of a, a, in a magazine cover saying, uh, I'm, I'm much tougher than I used to be. And she's got a kind of snarl on her face um, and wearing an aggressive sort of dress. And that too has been made up by somebody. Kieran Knightley. Kieran Knightley, that's the one, yeah. So th these are made up stories. Um, the, the people who have done them know Kira Knightley, would be her public relations agent. Public relations will say, you need some more exposure, or a film's coming out, or you want to, uh, you want to get a part in a film. In other words, you want to be on a cover of a magazine. So you've got to say something. What are you going to say? You're going to say, you're going to snarl. Usually you smile. Now you snarl, and people will, will look at you. They're fed up with you smiling. Now they want something different. So increasingly, that kind of journalism, which is the most popular kind of journalism, celebrity, sports, scandal, especially sex scandals, um, are, are written by the people who are, who are actually working for the people that they're writing about. And uh, they're doing so in part because they shut the gate against, against nasty journalists coming in and asking questions, but also because the newspapers themselves have got decreasing numbers of journalists and therefore need the, need the copy. One of the things that's now very important in public relations uh, is reputation. Reputation is now becoming at the center of public relations uh, and PR pitches. Uh, it always has been, from the very beginning, public relations people uh, who represented Typically, the CEO, the top guy in, a, in a, an organization, in a corporation, or indeed represented a politician, uh, and clearly they were about reputation, trust, and so forth. But it's increasingly the case, and the selling point of many agencies now is that we, we will look after your reputation, because reputation is now seen as, and actually is, much more fragile that in a, in a time where the net and social media can swarm around a particular story, they can 
destroy or at least damage CEOs, celebrities, sports people very badly. And hence, to protect that reputation uh, of people who increasingly feel themselves fragile and vulnerable to attack, not so much by newspapers to, to a degree still, or by broadcasting, but increasingly by the masses, people who will um, disapprove of them and use Twitter and, and other social media in order to, to express their disapproval. For that, people, the PR people argue, you need a reputation consultant and you need a reputation strategy. What happens when something awful happens to you or to your company? The classic case is BP, British Petroleum, uh, where some now six years ago, I think, in the Gulf of Mexico, uh, the Piper Alpha field, the Piper Alpha um, well um, exploded, killed, I think, about a dozen people, and a huge oil slick, I think probably the biggest, even bigger than the Exxon oil slick of about 10, 12 years ago, then began to wash towards United States. And the, the, the CEO at the time um, was, was caught on the hop. He was actually, I think, on holiday, or he was certainly out of the country and not in the United States, he came back, the response seemed to be slow. Uh, uh, there was a fair amount of denying and attempting to pass the buck between BP and the operator of the rig. And he was caught uh, in the middle of all this, when the hysteria was at his height, um, taking his yacht to a regatta in Cowes, which is on an island just off the south of England. Uh, uh, so here was this fat cat, rich guy, sailing his yacht while... 11 people had died, and the oil slick was polluting American beaches. And then when he was caught at a press conference or somewhere, he, he said, really in passing, almost a kind of muttering to himself, uh, I want my life back, because it was just being deluged all the time. So he, was, he didn't last long after that. Uh, he went and was replaced um, because they needed that both the public and the media needed a villain. He obliged by appearing like a villain and was finished. So he's used as a kind of a, the poster boy of what happens if you don't defend your reputation. The, the social media and the internet, uh, and also to a degree something else uh, which has happened, which is one could broadly call the politicizing of companies and corporations, has meant that, that corporations, executives, so on, are now increasingly involved in what PR people call the conversation. That is, that where the CEO or some top person is regarded as being a successful media performer, he or she is put out to have a conversation, to have a, a to appear on television, to write articles in heavy newspapers, uh, even to give lectures, and to attach themselves to a particular cause, always a good cause. And again, the poster boy here, the success in this case, is, is uh, Paul, Paul Polman, who's the head of Unilever, um, who is a strongly environmentalist uh, in his views, has made pledges that Unilever, which markets vast range of, of detergents, soaps, uh, beverages, food of all kinds across the world uh, is a vast corporation. 
he said that this will that that it will it will sharpen up its act on every product and make it environmentally much more environmentally sustainable and he's developed or he's developed with his public relations people both his own team and the many uh, agencies which which Unilever employs uh, an approach to um, uh, to advertising and to presenting the company which emphasizes the the goodness the moral goodness of the company and of him himself and finally there's lots more in this I urge you to to get the uh, report when it comes out which will be in December and we'll launch it uh, in here obviously but also in London and perhaps in in New York the last thing I wanted just to mention uh, two things one the um, in political communications, the, what's happening there, uh, especially in America, where, as I say, huge sums of money are spent on candidacy at every level, is that the, the big data, using data, publicly available data, the, uh, the political communicators, companies, the staffs of would-be presidents or senators or congressmen um, are able to crunch this data and get a picture of their would-be electors, which is much more, uh, much more rich and, and detailed than it ever has been before. So not just where they live and what they've voted for, either what they vote for now or what they voted for in the past, but all kinds of stuff. Their likes and dislikes, where they've moved to, where they've been, uh, what their family has been voting for, what they like in uh, in everything, in reading, in looking at television, in films, a whole character outline of individuals. And therefore, when the army of, of supporters of a given candidate go out and knock on doors, they know the candidate who comes, to, or they know the, the would-be elector who comes to the door. Now that takes huge sums of money, a lot of time, uh, but it's increasingly being done and it's being picked up by the, the corporate world increasingly. So what one's getting is, is a much closer identification, a kind of individualization, a long way from what until actually two or three decades ago was an assumption that if you were in a certain part of, of a city or a, or a state or a country, you were in Republican territory or Democratic territory, left-wing territory or right-wing territory, and therefore, uh, if you were a right-winger in left-wing uh, territory, um, you were really up against it, and vice versa. Now, it's all broken down. And now you know much more, much more acutely where to put your effort, and, and therefore, which bits of the country, which bits of the town, you've got to get in order to get your majority. And as I say, that's being, that's being, uh, it's blowing back onto corporate public relations. People are speaking much more to niches rather than to the mass. And that accords with increasingly with the way in which politics are going. In most democratic countries, politics is beginning to break down. Even in this country and in the United States, where you have two big parties, one of the centre-left, one of the centre-right, it's increasingly break, breaking down, not yet into separate parties, Though in this country one's seeing um, a new party of the right, UKIP, which might or might not survive, uh, 
um, and once, of course, seeing nationalist parties in the various parts of the of the UK, and not yet at all in the US. However, watch this space: the um, the disintermediation, the, the disintegration of what had been large groups, probably will will continue. And the final thing is that we did a little bit partly for fun on what we thought was the the biggest uh, challenge for public relations and also its biggest triumph, and that is the British royal family. Uh, that what the what has happened now with the with our dear Queen becoming a semi divine figure uh, has been a triumph not just of our own clearly good nature, um, but also of public relations. Uh, and some of the leading public relations people in this town cut their teeth on representing the royal family. The queen herself, uh, the various princes and princesses, uh, and now down unto the third and fourth generations. Um, so that when you see, as you perhaps did this morning, the Duchess of Cambridge, on, who's the wife of the crown, no, not the crown prince, uh, the crown prince's son, eldest son. Um, when you saw her on the front page, then that too has been a carefully prepared public relations intervention. Um, with the full support of newspapers, we know quite well that the, to put a pretty princess on the front cover nearly always helped sales. Diana was, was known to have to increase magazine sales by anything up to a hundred thousand or even more, depending on what was hot in the news at the time. Duchess of Cambridge, uh, less so, but still a valuable commodity, both for the royal family and for the media. So the two have worked together. Of course, there are scandals, like the um, the Crown Prince's second son dressing up as a Nazi. Um, and the PR people immediately swarmed round and saying it was a joke. He didn't quite know what a Nazi was. <laughs> it, may have been, it may have been true. And, uh, uh, um, you know, so well, what's, the, what's the problem? Haven't you got a sense of humour? So it went partly because he has now been posed, again, partly probably true, I have no idea, uh, as a kind of a, you know, a, a, a good humoured, good time guy who. Uh, likes a bit of fun, who doesn't, um, but at the same time comes good. The royal family in this country is the most, the most splendid monarchy in the Western world. But whenever you talk to public relations people about this, especially those who have at some time represented some part of the royal family, they always say, well, the Queen always meant that our job was relatively easy. But when, if and when, the, I guess not if, but when the, um, the crown passes to her successor, if it's her eldest son, Charles, then it's going to be much harder. Uh, so that the, the challenge for public relations is to make Charles into somebody, he'll never be as lovable as the queen, but into somebody at least not detestable, <laughs> as he has been at times. Uh, so that's possibly one of the biggest challenges facing certainly British public relations, but maybe even one of the biggest PR, uh, PR challenges in the world. Making, making President Putin into, into a nice guy might be, might, might be worse. 
but not much. I'll leave it there. So uh, it's been a bit of a ramble, but but what would be interesting, I think, is if you gave your experiences with public relations in your in your countries, uh, what you've how far you use public relations, uh, how helpful they are, how unhelpful they are, how far they lead you up the garden path, how, I mean, how, they, how far they, they try to spin stories, even tell lies. Be interesting to know. Thank you very much. Mm -hmm.